In this week's market update, shares post a big rally in July, but how real is the recovery? Timing markets is very hard. If you're reading about the worst first half year since 1970, as we all were a month ago, chances are the smart money is already heading in the other direction. It's very easy to be just a little behind the curve. It's why many investors' actual returns are a lot less than the headline index returns would suggest. They sell after the peak and they buy back in after the trough. It's why we always encourage people to simply invest steadily through the cycle rather than try to hit the turning points. Between the start of the year and the middle of June, the S&P 500 fell 23% and the Nasdaq rather more. It was the worst January to June period for 50 years as investors twigged that inflation was here to stay and the Fed was serious about getting on top of rising prices by raising interest rates. Over the past six weeks, however, the US benchmark has rallied significantly, up 9% in July alone. And it's not just been a US affair. Europe shares were 8% better in July and the global index rose 7%. It has, however, largely been a growth stock affair, with the worst performers during the first half downturn becoming the leaders during the rebound. The Russell Growth Index is up 17% from the low, easily outperforming the S&P's 13%, while the Russell Value Index has rebounded by a more modest 9%. The reason for this is a marked easing in financial conditions, principally in expectations about how far interest rates will go in the current tightening cycle. A month or so ago, the conventional wisdom was that US interest rates would reach nearly 4%. Now the futures markets are pricing in a peak of around 3.3%, followed by a rapid easing of policy throughout next year as the Fed turns its attention from battling inflation to supporting a slowing economy. That's a big difference when it comes to discounting back the future value of growth stock earnings and explains why some of the highest growth tech stocks like Amazon have rallied so hard. And interest rates are not the only place where an easing in financial conditions is showing up. The oil price has fallen from $120 to under $100 since June, and the dollar peaked mid-month. The gap between the yields on riskier corporate bonds and those on safer government bonds has also narrowed a little too. So, the big question is whether this is the start of a proper stabilisation of the market, or just one of the periodic pauses for breath that always punctuate both bull and bear markets. The reality is that share prices do not move in one direction consistently. Even in strongly trending markets, they can often change direction for a short while. In both the dot-com crash and the financial crisis, there were brief moments when investors got their hopes up only to see them dashed in due course. For the recent rally to hold, therefore, we'll need to see a few things. First, we need the current earnings season to continue delivering better than expected results. The better than forecast earnings figures we've seen so far, with three quarters of companies doing better than the analysts have penciled in, have been one of the welcome surprises in July. The second thing we'll need to see is a sustainable drop in the currently high inflation rates on both sides of the Atlantic. Certainly, over here, that looks a bit unlikely, given the expected rise in energy bills in the autumn. Thirdly, we'll need to see further evidence that interest rates really are close to peaking. 
The Fed may have made more soothing noises last week, but it still pushed interest rates 0.75 percentage points higher to between two and a quarter and two and a half percent. And another big rise is expected in September. This week, we're likely to see the Bank of England raise rates by another 0.5% too. The interest rate squeeze is far from over just yet. One of the issues for central banks other than the Fed is the extent to which the US central bank's hawkish approach is reducing their room for manoeuvre. The Bank of England has been raising rates in quarter point increments since December, but in June it said it would act more forcefully if needed. One of the drivers of a more aggressive approach might be the impact on sterling of a divergence in policy between the US and UK. The pound has fallen to less than $1.20 in large part because investors sense that it's falling behind the curve when it comes to tightening. A falling currency is itself inflationary because it raises the cost of imported goods such as food and energy. There's a credibility issue for the bank, but a real issue too. Not getting on top of inflation actually makes inflation worse. That was heightened last week when the International Monetary Fund cut its global growth forecasts but singled out the UK as one of the countries where the inflation outlook had worsened the most. It said policymakers should take decisive action even if it hit growth, jobs and wages in the short term. The challenge in the UK is further complicated by the Conservative Party's leadership race with both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss now competing with each other on who should be viewed by party members as the most aggressive tax cutter. The former Chancellor Sunak is backpedalling on his previous fiscal conservatism as he sees his rival moving ahead in the polls and tax cuts are being viewed as giving inflation an unwelcome upward push when the CPI here is already above those in both Europe and the US. Finally, we need to get a sense that if we're heading into recession, it will only be a shallow one. The current valuation of the stock market makes sense, but only if we don't experience a serious slowdown in economic activity and corporate earnings. At the moment, we're still expecting a decent improvement in earnings this year as a whole, but a lot of that is down to the energy sector, which is obviously enjoying an oil price windfall. Overall margins, while still high, are starting to head lower and only a minority of companies are seeing higher earnings estimates than three months ago. The bond markets are rather less sanguine than stock markets about the health of the economy. In particular, long bond yields are currently lower than short ones and that's a widely watched sign of economic trouble ahead. This inverted yield curve occurs when investors worry that short-term interest rate hikes will push the economy into recession. So, prudent investors will welcome the July rally, but they won't count on it continuing into August. Certainly, the new month started on a slightly more worrying note, as official Chinese data over the weekend showed an unexpected contraction in manufacturing activity and stress in the country's over-indebted property market feeding through into weaker consumer demand. Similar figures from the US are expected to show uh, a similar if more muted slowdown in US manufacturing growth. Later this week, we will be publishing our latest investment outlook. This quarterly report looks at all the main asset classes and geographic regions to give investors the context 
in which to manage their portfolios. As well as the report, I'll be answering questions from Fidelity investors. The webcast and Outlook will both be available from Wednesday. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.